Previously, on Saturday Morning Snicktoons, special guest host Dave Horrocks from Comics in Motion and I broke down X-Men the Animated Series Season 1 finale, The Final Decision. And what an episode that was. Holy cow. Um, And Dave, of course, brought just such great professionalism. I had such a good time breaking that episode down. And of course, hearing about how he was first introduced to X-Men. Being my first guest from across the pond, I always kind of wondered how they uh, were first introduced to America's favorite mutants. So hearing his story about the various reprints and things that he was able to get his hands on was super insightful and uh, very interesting. So go back and check out that episode if you have not, and stay tuned as me and special guest host break down X-Men the Animated Series Season 2, Episode 1, up soon. All right, bubs, as you heard at the top of the show, I am back with a brand new guest. And not just a new guest, but we're actually here for a brand new season of X-Men the Animated Series. We are going to cover Season 2, Episode 1. And I am super excited to have this guest on because I am a big fan of this guy. When I first got into podcasting, not just making my own podcast, but when I first got into listening to podcasts, his podcast was one of the very first ones I discovered, and I have been a major fan for like six years now. So I am pleased to introduce and welcome Mr. Rob Luther from Turtle Tales Radio. Rob, welcome to Talkin' Snick, and welcome to Saturday Morning Snicktoons. Well, thank you so much, man. Wow, what a nice introduction. I was going to say, if we were your first podcast, hey, it's all it's all uphill from here, man. You're good. <laughs> it's only going to get better. Uh, no, that, it's quite an honor, my friend. Thank you so much for having me on. And uh, I'm a fan of your show as well. I don't know exactly who reached out to who first, but I'll tell you, I've listened to Talking Snicked uh, the last two years or so. Uh, and man, I am just blown away by how much uh, fun your show is to listen to and also how infectious your passion is for the X-Men is because as I was listening, I said, man, I got to get back into the X-Men. This was such a big part of my childhood and it was just a big rabbit hole. And finally, we just started talking more and more about it. I owe you a lot of thanks and I I hold you responsible for (laughs) now my new obsession to get back into the X-Men comic books and and the franchise as a whole. So it is a dream come true to be here. And buddy, I didn't even know that we had planned this particular episode to cover till death do us part. Uh, That was so cool because that was pretty much the first episode I ever saw as a kid. So, oh, wow. man, just freak, freak coincidence <laughs> right there, but it is a dream come true to be here, man. Oh, that is awesome. And, uh, you know, I'm glad I was able to reciprocate because I kind of blame you for having gotten me <laughs> so far into the TMNT. Uh, oh, cool. 
because in conversations that we've had, I kind of told you like, yeah, you know, at the time I was kind of watching the 2012 series from Nickelodeon and I, I, I really loved that show. Like I, I had no idea it was going to be so good and, and it mm-hmm. was, and like that kind of, you know, that got me into it and stuff, but that's about as far as it went. I really liked that show. And when I first discovered Turtle Flakes, um, I think by the time I had started listening to it, you were already the, uh, you were already co-hosting with Josh O'Rourke. Yes, um, mm-hmm. but the way that I I usually if I find a new podcast, usually what I do is I'll, I'll listen to the most recent episode to kind of get a feel for where the show is at now, and then if I like it, I go back and I I listen from the beginning. Ooh. And I'm sorry, listen, <laughs> no, it was very very good. So listening to you and and Rourke Steady doing your thing, and then jumping in and a completely different host uh, with Josh Witt, it was like what this is is this the right show? But then, yeah, listening to it all the way up is, it was just so great. And, and, uh, I kind of, I, I wouldn't say I modeled talking snicked after turtle flakes, but I was definitely inspired by how you guys did your show because almost all the other nerd podcasts that I had discovered up to that point. And it wasn't, it wasn't many. It was a couple X-Men podcasts, a few Batman podcasts, but most of the stuff that I found, it was, you know, one or two guys and they were just covering the comics in order from like, you know, one, two, three and so on. And the way you guys tackled your Turtles fandom was so completely different. You talked about the toys. Uh, I always loved when Josh Weezy would do the uh, turtle pickups where he would just tell you about all the awesome Ninja Turtles merchandise he picked up. And I'm just right. like, oh, I'm so jealous, you know, Um <laughs> And then you guys would talk comics, you'd talk cartoons, you'd talk movies. And I was like, oh, okay, so I don't have to approach my topic the same robotic way that all these other podcasts do. I could just kind of do whatever I want whenever I want to. Um, and so it was like that outside the box thinking is where I kind of came up with my approach to talk and snick the Wolverine show. And it was, of course, I always loved your green screens. And that's kind of where I got the idea for Saturday morning Snicktoons. Oh man, that, that is so, thank you so much, man. It, it, it was, it's so fun to do that and hear that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, I don't remember exactly why we came up with the premise we did. Well, first of all, Turtle Flakes, it was basically one of those situations where I wasn't a Ninja Turtles expert. I was a fan of the original cartoon, the 1987 cartoon. And later on, I found out, I mean, much later on in the early 2000s, I found out, or maybe perhaps late 90s, that it was based on a comic book. And then, long story short, I decided back in 2012 or or so uh, to do a podcast with my, my best friend Landon called The Retro Junkies. And we had done a Ninja Turtles episode uh, covering some of the Ninja Turtle games and maybe some other, maybe we talked about the movie or something. And I think that's what really kind of planted the seed. Like, holy cow, this is a lot of fun. I love the Turtles. It's one of my earliest franchises I ever, ever remember. I mean, it was the franchise that I w- was in my earliest memories. I would love to learn more about it. So basically, I asked Landon first. I said, hey, man, would you want to come on and do a podcast with me just dedicated to the Turtles? And at the t- he agreed at the time, but then um, I found out shortly after that that his wife was pregnant with their, with their daughter, and he couldn't do it. So <laughs> just by happenstance, a friend of the, the podcast, Josh Witt, he, Jay Weezy, he decided to come on the show. He's like, hey, I love Turtles. I'll do it with you. I said, sounds great. I said, I know nothing about the Turtles, really, except for the cartoon. 
and the toys, what do you say we just try to discover it together? And then that was pretty much the whole pre- premise of the show. We would cover eras, you know, where we would try to go in chronological order. We would do a classic cartoon, classic toy, uh, and then classic uh, comic review or something. And then the next episode, we would try to go to the 2003 era, and then eventually the 2012 era. Uh, and now, gosh, there's the IDW era. There's the image era. There's so much Turtle stuff out there that we'll never cover at all. Um, and I thought, you know what, I'm not patient enough to just start from issue one and episode one and try to eventually get all the way to the most current IDW stuff. So let's just do what we love to do and just try to find something cool to talk about in every episode. And, uh, you know, we were never the most consistent podcast. You know, I, I tried early on before children to do a weekly show and I still couldn't do it back then. And I certainly can't do it two kids later. <laughs> Well, well, finding the show, you know, four years after the fact, that helped out a lot because I was able to binge it over the course of, you know, a couple of weeks or whatever. And then, <laughs> and then of course, the, the, the breaks in between would become infuriating and, and, and that sort of thing. Like, oh, man, I just I need some Rob and Josh talking turtles because I'm starting to get out of it. And, uh, you know, I'm into Batman right now or whatever. So I need that that, uh, you know, that hit of turtles. Uh, but yeah, it was always such a pleasant surprise when a new when a new episode would drop and stuff. And I, I don't think I was following anyone on social media, so it was like it was Christmas morning, you know, whenever a new episode would drop of Turtle Flakes, because I would have no warning. And I, this was, you know, obviously pre-pandemic, so I was still working in the office. I had a forty-minute drive uh, in and a you know fifty-minute, fifty-five-minute drive out, usually because of traffic. So I got a lot of podcast listening done in the car. And it was always my favorite morning drives when I got to listen to Turtle Flakes going Ah. into work because it's always it was just such a positive show. You know, you guys always just had so much love, even even Josh O'Rourke, you know, who (laughs) who could be negative sometimes. He still managed to find like a lot of positive stuff about turtles. And it was like it would just get me in a good mood. You know, I'm walking into the building and and I'm feeling good because I've just listened to some awesome podcasters talk about turtles. And and, yeah, it would just uh, just a great time. That's that's like the ultimate, honestly, and I mean this, that's like the ultimate compliment because the Turtles were so innocent to me growing up. That was like my feel-good show. That was my feel-good. I mean, I feel like I grew up with those four brothers, you know? Mm-hmm. And when we when I decided to do the podcast, one of the biggest things I was hoping for was just to keep that positive, innocent vibe just going. And um, to, to hear you say that, you know, it was our podcast was a feel-good show. That's like the ultimate... Because, you know, you, you you just don't hear that kind of feedback. So uh, that's – I really appreciate that. And that, that was something we definitely wanted to intentionally do and kind of keep it family-friendly. And, you know, I, I've listened to a lot of podcasts out there. And, um, you know, there are some that are a lot more negative than others that, that cover the franchises. And it almost seems like they hate it. Nothing pleases them. Uh, <laughs> and like, well, why would you want to talk about it if you're just going to gripe about it the whole time? But then again, you know, that's how some people socialize. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, uh, but it was it was just a more of an intentional move, just to to try to keep it positive and have fun and just goof off and not take ourselves seriously. And you can certainly tell we are not a professional podcast, but we enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know it makes it fun. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, both professional and uh, amateur. You know, just a couple of guys in a garage or, or whatever. Uh, and it, like those are the ones that I like the most. I think is is the ones where it's just a couple of friends. Uh, who, yeah. who bond over something and they just get together and talk about it and have a good time. Uh, and and I, I kind of also borrowed the family friendly thing. Like I do a Wolverine podcast who's not the most <laughs> 
family-friendly character. There's a lot of stuff that I, I gloss over when I cover certain stories, but yeah, that I just I loved the accessibility of Turtle Flakes because it was also one of the few podcasts I could have on if my kids were in the car. Uh, and so oh, I just cool. wanted to give that back to and you know anyone who's listening to X Men or or Wolverine or whatever, and they have kids in the car, and and maybe they're like, oh man, I can't listen to Wolverine with the kid in the back seat, but they could listen to my show. So that was just something I tried to emulate as well. So I'm I'm just admitting of all the plagiarism, and all the <laughs> all the stuff that I stole from you and and the Joshes and all that, but. I think it's it's you know it, it's it's given me a podcast so like I'm proud of the podcast that I've made. Oh, that's awesome, man! And and dude, your podcast is awesome. Like seriously, I I've kind of binged myself, and and I, honestly, I've not read some of the issues you've talked about because I felt like I didn't have to. You did such a great job describing them. Like, man, that sounded like a great story arc. Maybe one day I'll check it out. <laughs> but I already know I got my fix. That was amazing. Uh, but no, I, going back to just preparation for this episode how much fun i had this week i mean my wife and i we ended up watching all of season one together she (laughs) got back into it and i have you to thank i didn't even i didn't even get to tell you this before we were recording Uh, ryan and i had the pleasure to talk uh, catch up for a little bit and uh we might seriously do an X-Men podcast together because we both love the franchise and it was so awesome my wife she said and we've been together for close to 20 years now. And she's wow. like, you know, when I first met you, X-Men was your thing. Like, you were into the <laughs> X-Men. Because X2 had just come out or Ooh, yeah, yeah or, or maybe it was about to come out. I can't remember. It was in like 2003 or four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's like, we were talking. That was one of our earliest conversations. We were talking about Gambit and Rogue uh, <laughs> on the phone, me having the courage to ask her out. That was one of the first topics. So here we are almost 20 years later. We're seriously thinking about doing a podcast together, probably a monthly show, something with X-Men, just because we, we were preparing for this particular episode. So I have you to thank for that, man. <laughs> that is awesome. That's so cool. See, X-Men brings everyone closer together. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, when so when you, when you met your wife 20-odd years ago, you were super into X-Men, but you mentioned that you know, you liked X-Men earlier too in your childhood. So let's talk about how you were first introduced to X-Men. Like what is your earliest X-Men memory? Oh man. Uh, well, you were talking about Blockbuster right before we had <laughs> recorded. And I think my earliest X-Men memory was probably the Christmas of 91 maybe. Uh, I remember going to Blockbuster and seeing this game for the Nintendo called, I think it was just called Wolverine. And it's this cool-looking guy with spikes coming out of his hands. I didn't know anything about him. But I remember if if it had a cool cover as a kid, I was like, oh, I want to play that. (laughs) Uh, So I remember taking that home, loving the game and hating it at the same time because it was so brutally tough. But I thought the character was so cool. So, you know, at the time I knew nothing about X-Men. But I I have to say that was probably my earliest experience having anything even remotely to do with it. But um, the bigger impact on me was probably about a year or two later, um, and this was either the Christmas in 93 or 94, when I get this strange but like absolutely awesome looking VHS tape called X-Men Till Death Do Us Part, Part 2. It was on VHS, it was in our stocking, and I got it from my, my mom and my stepdad. 
like I said, I had no idea what I was looking at, but the, the cover alone had me hooked. You know, you had this scary-looking metallic vampire spider guy, <laughs> and he's holding these two superheroes hostage, and there's another guy on the floor who looks like he's sick or something. I don't know what was going on. Uh, and then I watched it. So I put it in the VCR. I watch it. And this is – I'm a Ninja Turtles guy at this time. I mean, just solid turtles, turtles, turtles. Mm-hmm. I even felt guilty watching the Power Rangers <laughs> a little bit because I felt like I was betraying my turtles. <laughs> so so I go and put X-Men in for the first time. And, I mean, I loved, I loved the Power Rangers, but X-Men was like the thing that was like, oh, my gosh, if anything could dethrone the turtles – it could be the X-Men. Like, it just was instant love at first sight. And the only other equivalent I can ever re- remember or compare it to is the first time I watched Turtles. I mean, I put in, I forget, I think it was either Case of the Killer Pizzas or Sky Turtles. It was one of the early VHS tapes. Mm-hmm. And first time I ever watched Turtles, I'm in love and I got goosebumps. I'm so excited. That's how I thought about the X-Men. And I'm watching this, not understanding the storyline, but just falling in love with the characters instantly and the colors and just the the whole vibe of the whole show so i found out that there was a cartoon on cable and i started watching as as much as i possibly could for years and you know i remember them even airing the reruns in the late 90s and i would record them on my vcr and watch them over and over uh and you know the stories at the time the stories were always kind of deep and a little over my head you know from Mm -hmm. my i'm guessing i was like ages like six to 11 here but i mean i didn't care the characters and the action alone were so worth it I, and, and the only other major thing that i that stands out instantly when we mentioned early and memories of x-men were the uh do you remember the x-men fleer or not was it fleer those cards oh, shoot they were like trading cards the x-men mm-hmm. cards oh yeah yeah well my neighbor um little little backstory uh when my mom remarried my stepdad we, we moved in with him and my stepdad shared his uh, – we lived on the dead end of our street, but we shared this acre of land at the dead end of our street with our neighbor. And his name was Dave, and he was like a big brother to me like or a really cool uncle or something. And he introduced me to Star Wars. He introduced me to all these different types of uh, video games and then 80s metal and all kinds of stuff. But he also had – bunch of x-men toys and all these these really cool looking x-men figures and then i open a binder and he's got all these really cool x-men cards and i just remember flipping through those early on not knowing who any of the characters are this is before we had any internet and i'm thinking Mm. man there's this many (laughs) superheroes and villains this is and they look so cool those were the early days and just i remember being absolutely blown away by the artwork the cast of heroes and villains and man, it just made such a huge imprint on me uh, back then, and really, it lasted for years beyond that. Um, you know, all the way up to the X Men movies coming out. So, yeah, I mean, just just some deep rooted X Men passion right from the get go. Man, that is awesome, uh, and I can see why you started turning away from X Men again once the movies started coming out. And and, <laughs> and I'm an X Men movie apologist. Like I love every X Men movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I can see where it's like, all right, you know, this it's time to move on to you know other other fandoms and, and it, stuff. Yeah, sure. Well, it wasn't even <laughs> completely intentional. No, it was like I love the first movie when it came out. Man, I remember that movie blew up in New Jersey. Mm. And I thought Wolverine's uh, arc in that movie was so cool, and I, you know, this is so cheesy, but I was like, I want to be like Wolverine. I want to, <laughs> I want to start working out. I want to start pumping iron. I want to be cool like him. 
you know, and then we moved down south in 2002, and then the second X-Men movie came out. I remember watching that, taking my uh, my then-girlfriend, eventually my wife, there uh, to go see the movie. We saw X-Men 3 and really enjoyed it. But then, you know, college came around and, you know, other responsibilities. <laughs> and it was just those kinds of obligations that just kind of pulled me out of it um, for, yeah. for a little while, you know? Yeah, definitely. No, that's cool about the cards. Uh, the, the cards was one of my earliest introductions to X-Men as well uh, that I kind of had like a head start when the cartoon uh, finally finally hit in uh, 92 uh, because I've been collecting the cards for like up to about a year at that time. I think the first set was like 91, 92. That was the, the set that had all the Jim Lee art, that first yes. Intel set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one was, that set was amazing. And so I remember going to like the corner store that we had down by our grocery store. It was a couple of blocks away from our house uh, with like w- with my sisters and picking up some cards and stuff. I think it was like a liquor store actually, <laughs> because I don't remember ever actually going into the store. Like i and I don't know if this is like I'm just confusing it with a different memory, but like I'm pretty sure at one point I went there alone and the guy wouldn't let me come into the store, but he sold me like two packs of the cards from the doorway because <laughs> the because the cash register was right next to the to the doorway to get into like the liquor store. So I think he's like, what do you want? And I was like, I'm get X-Men cards. He's like, oh, OK, well, he's I can... dealing on the side. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm pretty like I, and I don't I, I like I have distinct memories, but I'm like, did I see that in a movie or something? Like, I don't, <laughs> did that happen to me or was that something else? But yeah, like I, we would go and get the cards, and yeah, I remember when like the Fleer Ultra ones that were like the extra thick. Yes, um, and they had like that layer of like the plastic, so they were super glossy. Like I remember when those ones came out, and those were cool. <laughs> yes, those were the ones I remember. Uh, Dave had in his his binder, you know, the the ones that shine. And then I went back and I. I think I bought a bunch on eBay like years later of the 1991 and 1992 ones, the Jim Lees. Yeah, Uh, yeah, man, they were just such cool, gorgeous uh, cards. And as a matter of fact, my buddy Kirkland, who's on Turtle Tales Radio, uh, he and I used to work together. And I remember bringing him a shoebox full of my old X-Men cards and showing them to him. (laughs) I forgot I left them at school. So one of the... One of the uh, ladies who got my classroom, she's like, hey, uh, I've got a shoebox full of X-Men cards. So I was just like, ah, you can just give it to Kirkland. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Uh, real professional of me. <laughs> that would be great. I would love to walk into an old office and they're like, oh, hey, you know, the guy left a bunch of his cred here. So uh, it's all X-Men stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. What? Yeah, he didn't leave any lesson plans, but here's some X-Men cards. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's good enough for me. Yeah, Amen. <laughs> All right, so you you grew up playing the Wolverine game on NES, which I, I'm totally there with you. I love it and hate it at the same time, and it's pretty much how I feel about every NES game. Right. <laughs> Amen. Uh, every single one of them is is ridiculously hard, but they're so fun and and they're so you know if you're addicted to nostalgia, like most of us who are in our 30s are, uh, then yeah, those NES games, it's they're always going to have a, a soft place, and no matter how much I I might hate an NES game, I'm always going to love it too. That's just how it is. Uh, but did you ever uh, did you ever collect any X Men toys? Oh man! So I am so excited about this topic because I didn't have many. I I really didn't. So my my list is my ones I wish I could have had as a kid. I mm. remember seeing them, but I just didn't remember getting it many. I think there was one or two. Like there was. Oh man! I specifically remember. Christmas maybe in 91 again 
I got an Incredible Hulk, and he had this like iron bar that he could bend. And I think I might have gotten a Wolverine figure then too from that same toy line, but not, again, not knowing it was him. Like I didn't really understand mm-hmm. who he was. But I might have gotten him, or maybe the Spider-Man with the, the little motorcycle. I can't really remember. <laughs> um, so that's that was one of the only figures that I specifically remember having. I had some of the video games, but no, I didn't own many of, for whatever reason, the action figures. But I do remember seeing them in Toys R Us and just drooling over them. Yeah, but just for whatever reason, I just didn't. Oh, bummer. Yeah, the, the Toy Biz line of, of X-Men from the mid-'90s was was fantastic yeah. i mean i'm not trying to slight playmates on their turtles line because that was a phenomenal line and of course you know mattel years earlier with their he-man and the masters of the universe and stuff but i just feel for like for the basic action figure that's like the all ages that they are making because they expect a child's gonna play with it and right. not a 30 year old man child is gonna put it on a shelf <laughs> Uh, the Toy Biz X-Men toys were so good. You know, they, they had decent articulation, you know, elbows and, and knees that could bend and stuff that you didn't really see in, you know, like the Batman, the animated series line, you know, that they were they had static legs and arms and stuff. Um, it, they, they weren't quite as articulate as like the uh, or articulated as the like G.I. Joe line with the O-ring um, that gave them such a, a, a let them put you in such dynamic positions and stuff. But like the Toy Biz X-Men line was, was really good. Like it for, like for a basic, like $6, maybe, I don't know how much action figures would have cost in the, in the early nineties. Now I remember when like KB would do three for 10 deals and it's like, wow, that was a great deal. But um, yeah, the, the Toy Biz line was so great. So, so you've prepared a top five and I've prepared a top five and they're a little bit different because mine is going to be top five of, of ones I had. Yours is going to be a top five wish list. But <laughs> would you like to kick us off, Rob, and tell me your number five Toy Biz X-Men action figure you would have loved to have had? Absolutely. I'd love to. So the first one I, I uh, wish I had as a kid was the 1991 Series 1 Wolverine. Because first of all, I just love the brown and gold version of Wolverine. I don't know why. I just like that version for some reason. And uh, that's one of the early versions of the toys, too. Uh, He's got the snap-out claws. All you got to do is slide the wrist switch for it. Uh, And honestly, it's still a reasonable price now. You can get the carded figure for $20-$25. It's still pretty good condition on eBay. And And then I found out thanks to eBay and all the recommended searches for it, um, <laughs> there's a supersized version of the, you know, the brown and gold version of the 1991 toy. So I'm like, man, honorary mention to that supersized one too. You know, <laughs> it goes for a whole lot more. It's like $60, $70. Oh, sure. <laughs> boy, it is one cool figure. Just that, that OG Wolverine. Yeah, that would be my number five for sure. Nice. Oh, yeah, that's a great figure. I love the fact, too, that it's like his mask is removable. Yes. And they give him like this this really ugly mug, which is perfect, because like up until <laughs> that point, you know, he wasn't the, the Hugh Jackman, just beautiful Wolverine yet, you know? He was he was questionable, you know, as far as his physical appeal goes, face-wise. And, uh, you know, yeah, the, the action figure... <laughs> Yeah, and and the uh, and the action figure just has such an ugly face, and uh, the mask is removable. And I don't know if you saw when you were looking at your search, the mask is actually a ring. So oh, I didn't can, know that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you can wear the mask on your finger <laughs> as a ring. You know, like the Halloween, you know, the spider rings that you get at Halloween or whatever. Get a wolf, wolfy ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So, I mean, I don't know how manly it would be to wear, uh, like, another male superhero's mask on your finger as a ring, but <laughs> still kind of neat, I guess, you know? <laughs> I, you know, I would wear it nowadays, yeah. I'd support it. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely, now. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if as a seven or eight year old, I would have had, you know, I would have been comfortable with myself to uh, to have done that. But <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, one of those features where it's like, who thought of this? Like who, in some pitch meeting somewhere, they were like, and as an added bonus, you can wear this mask as a ring. And some executive was like, oh, my gosh, kids are going to lose their minds. <laughs> Oh, gosh, I'm so glad you brought that up because that, that ties into my number four pick. But, you know, you go first, my friend. That's, that's good stuff. All right. So I just realized that I forgot to write mine down. So I'm going to have to wing my, my top five. <laughs> um, my number five I had um, in like 1995 or 96, Toy Biz did this this toy line where – uh, they they released like I think it was four or five different figures and they were like all about 10 inches tall so they were about twice the size of the normal toy biz figures and one of the ones they did was an apocalypse and I never got that series one apocalypse that like had the growing arms and legs and stuff and so I always wanted an apocalypse figure um, his episodes in season one were among my favorites so I really wanted apocalypse and the gimmick of these figures was they had like a projector on their chest. So you can flip their chest down and put like this little disc thing that had like three or four like static images from the cartoon episode oh. and then close their chest cavity, flip a little switch on their back and it would like project the image onto like a wall or whatever wow and so I never knew that yeah they're they were really cool they did um like i'm pretty sure there's a saber tooth and like a gambit and i think a bishop and a wolverine and then and then the apocalypse and i'm probably mixing up some of the characters but yeah so that was like the apocalypse that i would use when my x-men were fighting apocalypse with my action figures and i liked that he was like twice the size because you know in the cartoon he grows and stuff like that and and yeah the the projector was was pretty cool we had this little like pantry where we would keep like our empty like paper bags from like the grocery store or whatever uh, and i don't even know why because i don't think we recycled them like we certainly didn't reuse them but they were just under there uh, and that was all that was under that cabinet and you know i'm like 10 years old so i can fit so i would go on i would go in there and like just project the the images like onto the wall in this cabinet and like <laughs> you know relive the episode as a because i i don't know why i couldn't just pop my vhs tape into my vcr and, and watch it I, I was like no i'm gonna be weird because i'm a kid so i'm gonna like go in this little cabinet and turn the light because it's cool you know yeah, so, exactly <laughs> so yeah number five uh projector apocalypse <laughs> and are the are the projector ones the deluxe figures because i saw some that were like 10 inches that they called the deluxe deluxe figures in like 94 uh and i did see a gambit and i saw a beast but i'm not sure if that's the same one I think those were just the regular figures, but twice the size. And then oh, I think okay. they did the projector a little bit later. Uh, wow. But that's probably why I'm like thinking of the of the Gambit. It might have just been like Apocalypse and Bishop, and and that was it for the projectors. But yeah, I couldn't find. Um, I was going through. I found this website, and I, I should have wrote that down as well. Um, but it had like a really great archive of all the Toy Biz '90s toys, and and I couldn't find that line, the projector line. So. I had to make sure to, to throw Apocalypse on my list, though, because I just I loved that 
that figure and and the the projector thing was like such a cool little gimmick. Yeah, what what a unique idea. I love that. That is cool. <laughs> So uh, my number four is, uh, speaking of Wolverine, the 1991 Wolverine Mutant Cycle. Oh, You got to have Wolvie riding in style with pop wheelie action. Uh, (laughs) It's got a killer designed bike that matches Wolvie's classic colors. Uh, It's got sleek design and even Wolverine's face as a headlight. There it is again. His ugly mug right there, right on the headlight. (laughs) It's it's weird, but when you look at the box, there's his head right there. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, and this is just a one-of-the-kind kind of vehicle uh, toy that I wish I had. And another thing about it that's really cool is that – oh, where is it? I wrote it down here. Oh, uh, so they have retracting claw arms that rotate up and down and pivot out for, like, wide-angled range attacks on his motorcycle. <laughs> so his motorcycle is its own weapon, too, uh, that has claws. I was reading the box. It says, action, push down the power pedal to transform the mutant cycle from mild manner to ferocious. In other words, just place Wolvie in the seat, tip the cycle up on the back wheel, and push up for pop wheelie action. So there you go. And and they're pretty cheap, too. Like, you can get them still in the box. I saw one still in the box for 16 bucks on eBay. I'm like, man, these are not near as expensive uh, as I was expecting them to be for over, for about 30 years old. I'm going to have to track some of that down. I think I still have some some eBay gift card money left over from Christmas or something. Cash in on that mutant cycle, buddy. <laughs> I actually don't have that. I do have the uh, I do have the series one Wolverine still in oh, box. Awesome. But if I got that mutant cycle, I might I might crack them open just to put them on there. Yeah. I'm gonna have to make my own wish list now, Rob. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there you go with the ring and the and the Wolverine face bike. You're good. You'd be right in style. Uh, yeah, I never had that one as a kid. I think I remember too. It was like the way that the, the the um like the frame of the motorcycle like the way that it's on that front tire is like as the tire rotates it has like these little arms that go up and down and like the claws retract and yes i guess detract is the right word as it like as it as the cycle spins so it's like he's constantly swiping with his claws yeah it's pretty cool it's a really <laughs> cool really, really cool design i liked it uh so for number four for me one of my favorite characters uh, as an X-Men fan from the 90s was Psylocke. Um, oh, I, yeah. I probably didn't realize as a 10-year-old boy exactly why I liked that character as much as I did. Um, it's a little bit more obvious now. But, I mean, she was a cool ninja. And she had an interesting costume. And she had this cool, like, purple-pink like blade that was like psychic energy, you know, that came mm-hmm. out of her hand. And that was always really cool. And, and she was a fun character to play as in clone wars, the yeah. uh, X-Men two, the clone wars yeah, on Sega, Sega, which, uh, we'll do a little plug for you since I know you're, you're working on a retro junkies episode covering that video game. So oh, yeah, um, absolutely. fans <laughs> make sure you go check out Robin Landon when they get to that one. <laughs> Thank uh, you so much. I appreciate that. Oh, of course. Uh, but she, she was just like, I just, I always liked Psylocke, you know? And like, weirdly enough, when I would get random X-Men comics from the grocery store, or if I had the good fortune of actually being able to go to a comic shop, uh, I would just get, you know, whatever X-Men comic was like on the shelf, you know, I'd go through the covers and be like, oh, this one looks cool. And I never really had any issues that she was ever actually in until much later, like closer to like Onslaught and, 
gosh, like 96 or 97. So it was a while until I finally got to like read stories with her. And it was about that time. It was, I think it was 96 that Toy Biz launched their um, light up figures where um, these figures didn't have as much articulation because they had this little gimmick where they had like this metal ring in their hands and they had like a weapon that you can attach and for Psylocke, it was her, you know, psychic knife. It was this big plastic translucent pink piece that you can put in her hand. And the metal would interact with the metal in the piece. And then there was like a little button on the back. And when you click it, it would light up. So her psychic knife would light up. And they did they did like a gambit that was really cool. And they did a nightcrawler that was really cool in this line. But the standout for me was Psylocke. I believe it was the first Psylocke figure that we ever got as well. So that was really cool to have like this pretty decent, like really good looking Psylocke figure and the, the added feature of like the light up psychic knife. Like I loved that. Oh, that is so cool. And I, I love Gambit too, to, to see him, I guess his staff or whatever he holds, it was that the, the thing that would glow or would he have like a card in his hand that would glow? Yeah. It was like, um, it was like a little piece where it was like three cards, you know, and they oh, were like cool. flying. And then the light up part was like the kinetic energy that they leave in their wake when he throws them. So oh. it's like the figure was like throwing the cards and then it lit up. It was very cool. Oh, man, I'm changing. I'm changing my fifth one. That, that's that's <laughs> what I want. <laughs> I love Gambit. Oh, man. Good pick, my friend. That's awesome. Well, my number three would be uh, the red-caped Mr. Sinister from the 1992 Series 2 Toy Biz line. I'm not sure why they did a black-caped figure and a red-caped version uh, in the same line. I do know that, you know, when you search eBay, there's a lot more of the black capes than there are the red capes that you see. But I think that the red really seems to pop a little bit more with, you know, Mr. Sinister's black or a dark blue um, kind of metallic armor that he has. And I'm a sucker for vampires, and I don't, I'm don't. i sure he's not exactly a vampire, but he sure looks like one. He's just a <laughs> creepy but cool-looking villain. And one of the earliest ones that I remember, I actually thought Mr. Sinister was the main villain for a while until I found out about Magneto because that was my first VHS tape was was him. What sells me the most about this figure is that his eyes actually can glow red. There's like the little batteries in the back of this figure. There's something you press on his back and it, it makes his eyes glow, uh, which for you know an early 90s figure, that, that was pretty neat. Um, and you can still buy this carded figure for about 30 bucks on eBay and scare all your friends. And, uh, <laughs> and, and an honorary mention to the deluxe edition of Mr. Sinister from 94, who stands at about 10 inches with his cool red cape. But alas, there's no glowing eyes on this one. Unless there's a projector version of Mr. Sinister. In, in, in that case, I'll, I'll buy that instead. Yeah, I don't think there was a projector. And, and yes, I definitely understand what you mean when, when you say like the, the red figure or the red cape is like more expensive than, than the black cape. Cause growing up, I, I had the black cape one and I think a couple of my friends had the black cape one. And I, I don't recall that I ever saw the red cape one in person or anything just on the back of the box. Yeah. What about the, what, what story is about that? You know, I don't know why they did that. Cause you see pictures of both from that toy line from the website I was, I was on. And then sure enough, like for every 10 black capes I saw on eBay, I'd see one red. Uh, and oh. the red was more expensive, so I don't know why. Oh. Now, looking at the picture, is the red cape a cloth cape? You know, I don't know now. Um, I, oh, the notes I took, I wish I'd saved a picture of it. 
Yeah, I wonder if maybe they only had enough cloth to make, you know, a finite number, or maybe they, or the original design was a cloth cape, and they're like, this is too expensive, let's just go to a plastic mold. Right. Who knows? <laughs> they, they stole uh, uh, Splinter's uh, cloth cape. <laughs> <laughs> the one from the original toy line, there you go. Yeah, it would be tough to repurpose. Yes, yeah, that'd be a tough one. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, gosh, yeah, that would be my number three. I just love Mr. Sinister. I think he's such a cool-looking villain. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that you're on for this episode then, especially after hearing your story of how you were first introduced and then seeing that Mr. Sinister's in your top five you know, figure wants. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, man. It's almost like we planned that, which we really didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just like, hey, you want to come on? Yeah. Pick an episode. Uh the first one cool <laughs> sounds good sounds good and, th- and that's what blew my mind i went to prepare for it. i was like oh my gosh this is the first one so yeah exciting time very cool so for my number three my, my top three are probably going to be kind of boring because you know i've been picking these really interesting characters with you know really fun features and stuff for for five and four but i think going into my top three they're going to be um, a little bit more boring because I think all three of these are from wave one. Uh, I think maybe, well, actually I think that maybe this one was series two, but I have to go with the, the Iceman figure that has the ice slide. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Do they do reprints of those? Because at my local comic shop, I got that figure. I know a lot of series one and series two ended up getting like reskins, recolors, and they were released in like 97, 98 as like part of the classics line where they just repurposed all of the original molds and then just, you know, slapped some new paint on them and then threw them out as like, you know, collector's figures because these are the originals again. Oh, okay. But yeah, that that first Iceman, and I wasn't really even like a big Iceman fan or anything like that. I've, I've never really have been a big Iceman fan. Uh, but I loved that figure because in his ice slide that he can, you know, clip into with his feet, there was like a little area that was cut out. So there was like a little indent. And what you could do is fill that with water, put Iceman in that slot, and then put it in the freezer and let it freeze so that your Iceman figure would actually be sliding around on a real block of ice. <laughs> Wow, how clever is that? That is really cool. Yeah, it was a really neat figure. And I remember doing that once or twice and then, you know, getting done and cleaning up and throwing all my toys in the toy box and forgetting that my Iceman had a big block of ice around his feet. And so a couple <laughs> days later, you go in there and like all your figures are soaking wet. And you're like, what? In <laughs> what happened? Like, what happened? And, you're, and then it's you finally find the figure and you're like, oh, whoops. <laughs> Good thing I didn't leave it like on my Nintendo or something, right? like, you know. Uh, but yeah, it was a it was a very cool and and the ice slide was was a really cool feature. Obviously, it's not gonna slide very well on like concrete and stuff like that. But you know, on the on top of like a wooden kitchen table, it slid pretty good. Wow, that is really cool. I kind of want to get one now. <laughs> that is cool because the the Iceman. When I think of Iceman, I always think of Spider Man and his amazing friends. And mm-hmm. how Iceman was his, one of his buddies in that one, and he was kind of like the comic relief. So I always kind of liked X, uh, Iceman growing up, but I didn't really know much about him in the actual X-Men canon. And I actually didn't even know he was an original X-Man until many years later. Oh, wow. All right. So uh, my number two, this is kind of, I guess it might be in a boring choice or an obvious choice, but I never even saw this growing up. It was the uh, 1995 
uh, X-Men Headquarters playset featuring the Danger Room. I never knew this set existed. I'm looking at a picture of it right now, and it uh, looks like it could actually fold out. It was, yeah, the Headquarters playset loaded with exciting features like the uh, <laughs> Battle Blaster weapon, the ejector platform, the swinging wrecking ball, pivoting bomb blaster, Cerebro control center, secret weapon storage, and much more. It is a gorgeous play set. It's not cheap. It's not cheap. It's basically <laughs> the equivalent of... Uh, Almost the equivalent of a Technodrome for the Turtles oh, or something. No. You know, you're going to easily <laughs> drop over $100 on this on eBay or, or oh, Amazon or wherever you can. So if you have one of these guys, I would definitely hold on to it, but I'm very jealous. Now, if you want to sell it to me for a decent price, <laughs> hit me up, okay? <laughs> you might have some Pokemon cards you can trade or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Yeah. Oh, man, I remember that. And I don't know anybody that had that. <laughs> Me neither. I'd never even seen it. I didn't even know. But I was like, a franchise as popular as the X-Men, I'm sure they had like the one big playset. And sure enough, I think this is probably their equivalent of the Technodrome or something. Oh, yeah. And But I, I just never had any friends who had it. Yeah, and I, I don't even think that they had anything else even close to the size because, like, they didn't have – there was no bad guy bases or anything like that. Yeah. Like, no one, no one wants – uh, like Senator Kelly's senatorial <laughs> office as like a place that like it's really great. It's got an American flag that you can hang on the wall and and, and a desk. It's wonderful. Like no no one wants it's got a really that. Really nice uh, carpet. <laughs> it comes with a secretary action figure, so that's really cool. You know, you can get all that scheduling done. Like I mean, like who would want that? Uh, but I know they had like the X Jet, and there was like a Sentinel that was kind of a playset, but also kind of an action figure. Yeah. But yeah, the the Danger Room that would be like the the big playset with all the extra fancy stuff. Yeah, I can see that going for well over a hundred as well. Oh yeah. So for for my number two, this is going to be probably not a shock to to anyone, um, but I'm going to go with the Series One Wolverine uh, with hey. the. <laughs> with the ring mask and i think i forgot to mention it he also comes with a samurai sword so that was always oh, really cool that's too right, i forgot it's like his one accessory is like oh by the way you know for those of you who know wolverine's also a samurai so obviously we're gonna have a katana in there um and then no one who watched the cartoon is ever like where what is this sword coming what is it <laughs> but yeah very cool um and yeah that was the first wolverine figure i had um and i I had like that whole series one except uh other than the apocalypse action figure and the nightcrawler uh of series one i actually had had all of those uh and and wolverine was my favorite and of course uh, many years later after i had lost or broken all of my x-men toys from my childhood and i started recollecting the toy biz figures that i that i could that was the first one that i got so i still have my uh, my updated purchase you know mint in box and everything so oh, so cool yeah man you never forget one of your you know first toys man that is that's awesome yeah, that, that would have been, I mean, if I were to ever buy uh, an X-Men figure, the first one I would buy it would be that one for sure. But yeah, so for me, uh, the last one, you just mentioned it a second ago, uh, looked really, really cool. Uh, and I love vehicles in any toy line. So mine was the 1994 X-Men Blackbird Jet Mobile Air Command. And this is a fighter jet that transforms into three action stages. Combat the evil mutant forces with missiles and air power. So I'm looking at the back of this box here. It breaks into three different parts. You have a dual-firing missile launchers that rotate and elevate on the missile turret. Tail converts to a glider, 
fully equipped with spring-loaded ejector seats and two retractable turbines. And the other scene... Oh, you got a fuselage that becomes the command center with the telescope, instrument panel, and the swing-out control seat. The canopy that opens to seat one of the X-Men figures in the cockpit. The jet cockpit becomes a three-wheeled control center. It's a really cool little figure here. Uh, it's kind of like its own mini playset here. And what's neat is they, I think a year later, they released a mini version of this that didn't kind of divide into three different parts, but this would be the one to get. This one looks like a lot of fun. And it looks like in the boxed here, you got Wolverine in the uh, in the cockpit. You've got Cyclops in the command center. And you got, uh, looks like Gambit in the last part there, the uh, spring-loaded ejector seat. So, so there you go. <laughs> nice. you, got, you got the crew. Nice, yeah. The X-Jet, the X-Mansion, a Wolverine. Very cool. And I, I, I didn't catch the price on these, but I'm, if I were a betting man, I'd say this is getting close to the hundreds too. Yeah, probably, because I think it's about the same size as the Sentinel, and I know I've looked those up before, yeah. and I think last time there was like 90, 95 is what the you know what you can get one for if you were looking for a bargain. Mm-hmm. So I imagine the X-Jet's up there, because growing up, I didn't know anyone that had that either. I had one of the Sentinels. I had a friend that had a Sentinel, but yeah, I didn't know anyone with an X-Jet either. So uh, those must have been hard to find as well. Yeah, for sure. We both need to get one. <laughs> or yes. both invest in one and just kind of ship them back and forth to each other so we can <laughs> swap, swap playing with it <laughs> yeah that might get a little expensive i mean i i, I know you guys have uh what well, you have the fedex headquarters out there in tennessee I oh think. yeah mm-hmm. uh but I, I imagine you probably don't get a home state discount and to ship it out here to colorado and back yeah that would, yeah you know for the for the amount we'd spend on on shipping we'd might as well just get two. <laughs> yeah, good point, good point. <laughs> uh, so that takes me into my number one. And, and again, this isn't going to come as any surprise, but I'm going to go with Series 2 Wolverine, the classic blue and yellow costume. This one nice. comes with like an Uzi for some reason um, <laughs> as his accessory. And uh, they, they improved the claws, but also kind of, uh, you know, took a step back. Because I liked that the Series 1 figure, you can actually retract the claws and keep them in the arm whereas these ones are spring loaded so they're always out you can push them in but then the spring will just push them right back out but it's still pretty cool i think he had if i remember correctly he had like a little there was like a lever on his back where like if you held his legs you can put your thumb in there and like if you flick your thumb then it's like slashing action with the claws or something um some sort of a gimmick or or whatever um but i'm pretty sure i had like nine different uh, you know, editions of this specific figure just because I played with it so much that I probably lost them and broke them and had to get new ones. And uh, I, probably like half the money I spent on, uh, or half the money my dad spent on my X-Men collection was probably just replacing this figure <laughs> over and over again. But yeah, it's just like, this is the figure. Yeah. It's not the first Wolverine I had, but this was like, this was my Wolverine action figure. So I have to go with Series 2 Wolverine. Very nice. And you always remember the one that had the most play. That's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of reminds me of, of the figure that my parents had to probably buy me th- two or three times. There was a Batman figure that had a retractable belt. Uh, you you, you pull out his like bat belt or whatever, and then it would just like slide back in. And I remember losing them, playing with them till the belt snapped off. And I, <laughs> I, I think I asked him to buy me that like three or four different times. So definitely got a lot of play. <laughs> crossovers with the turtles before the comic book would come out years later 
Oh yeah. Oh man, what a great comic too. I, I oh, I agree. It. Yeah, I loved all three. I think I like. I think I actually liked number three the best. Number three was really solid. I'm with you, and and not to mention the uh, the cartoon was great too. Mm-hmm. Yes, very. I I really hope that they uh, they do a sequel for that one. Yeah. at the very least, because I need to see. I want. I like. I need to see the the turtles as all the different robins. I need to oh, see that cool. as a cartoon. Like I have to see that before I die. Like <laughs> they need to do that for me. Uh, I, uh, you know, I'll make a phone call for you. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's that easy? Oh, well, well I, yeah, have a, it is. I have a list then, Rob. Yeah. I don't know how much time you have, but if you can make these things happen. <laughs> uh, sure, sure. So long as you help me out with that X jet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Oh, so, such such good such good action figures. I was like, the, the action figures that my kids have nowadays are just not as cool. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what it is, but I'm telling you, something about 90s and, and 80s, their packaging was so special and eye-catching just the colors oh man some of those cards were absolutely iconic and now i just i think it's just like fast food restaurants right you go to (laughs) mcdonald's in the 80s i mean it was probably dangerous but you had this really colorful play place and all these interesting characters and you felt like you're going to i don't know a toy store when you went out to eat or or maybe a playground or something like that now it just kind of feels like you're going to like this updated coffee shop. I don't know. I can't explain it. And, and I feel like <laughs> yeah. toys are almost the equivalent of that. I, I don't. I don't know how to explain it. It's just everything seems kind of sterile and just kind of bland and stuff now. I don't know. That's a tangent, though. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm right there. Like I, I, I. We can't have been the last generation of kids that played with toys that grew up. But like, even if you go to a place like Target or Walmart. And you go in like the action figure aisle, most of the action figures that are in there are, you know, $20, $25 range. And they're targeted towards adult collectors who, you know, whether like I'm, I still open my toys and pose them and stuff because I I don't don't play with them because I'm too old for that now. But, you know, I still take them out and pose them and then I'll switch their poses every now and then and stuff just because it's fun to do. But you know, like the the, the kid, the toys that are marketed towards kids nowadays, they're just so dull. And I, even with like Star Wars toys, like you look at the Black Series and the Black Series is awesome. These are great action figures. You know, they're up there on par with with NECA as far as like the posability The they're, you know, 20 to 25 dollars in that range. So it's it, they're pretty decent. They've got great articulation and they look good and the packaging you know it appeals to adults because it's like it's very professional looking packaging it's very sleek and, and everything um and then you look at the other lines and it's like hey we have this 20 dollars line that's for adults and then we have the same exact line but in a different style package you know it's the old blister packages but still mm-hmm. for adults because it's still 20 to 25 bucks and everything and then right. you have like the the retro collection which is you know the the five point articulation so the figures don't have elbow or knee joints or anything just uh they're like the the hip joint and the shoulder joint and then like you can swivel their head uh and then those are like 15 bucks so it's like it's still kind of expensive for a kid toy Uh, and so really it just like those appeal to older figures because it's like hey older collectors remember the toys you played with in the 80s well here's those same figures only it's like you know boba book of boba fett or, or Mando or whatever. Um, and then you look at the Star Wars toys that are geared for the actual kids. So, like, here's the, the $10 uh, 
action figure that's made for like the six to 12 year old boy or girl whoever's buying the toy and they're they're cool they have better articulation than like you know the figures we had when we were kids but they're they're very like cartoony looking and they have these weird proportions and it's like just because the kid plays with toys doesn't mean that the toy itself has to be like super kitty yeah because i remember there was a couple of uh toys when uh the uh, Force Awakens came out, and the the ones that were you know targeted for kids looked a lot like that, you know, just kind of cartoony and everything. And and uh, my son didn't really like those as much. He took to more of the the serious looking figures, the Kylo Ren that actually looked pretty, you know, brooding and dark. Uh, yeah, yeah. And you know, he's right <laughs> around that age for it now. So, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm with you there. <laughs> it's a it's a bummer, but oh well. Yeah, I mean, there was there was something magical walking down those Toys of Us aisles back in the day. See, I I've gotten my kids like into Legos, you know, and and, and oh, Legos my son loves Legos. Yes. Legos are always good, so <laughs> that's like where I've steered them. Like I've collected NECA turtles, and I've collected Marvel Legends, and I've got a few Black Series of Star Wars and stuff, and like those action figures. Um, my son has a few of like the Dragon Ball Z action figures at uh, the dragon stars line that's like the 20 dollar line oh yeah um, cool. but but for the most part like when they collect toys i kind of just steer them towards legos and and they seem to be okay with that like they really love legos it doesn't matter what line it is whether it's like the mario or the star wars or the minecraft mm-hmm. like they're they're all over the lego stuff so i, I push them that way because i love legos i still buy sets and build them and stuff um, and so, yeah, they, they've gotten that for me. And so that's the way I push them. I'm like, all right, you know, you want toys? Let's get some Legos because they're, <laughs> they're better than, you know, the action figures that are out nowadays. Yeah. And it's something you can all do together too. You know, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's something. And the great thing about having children is you're kind of allowed to play with your toys again. You know, yep. <laughs> <laughs> like I've got a, a, a bin of just not, nothing but Ninja Turtle toys and everything. And the kids will crash into the garage because I've been exiled to the garage with all my turtle stuff uh, because, you know, we never... We were told we could never have kids. You know, a couple years later, we've got two. So I'm very oh, wow. grateful for that. But I, all the turtle stuff had to – some of it I had to part with, but most of it is is uh, in the garage. But anytime they come out in the garage, they want to play with toys. And we all get to play. It's it's awesome. And it's like, man, why is it socially unacceptable to play with toys now? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I when when so when I was in the office, I had toys on my desk. I had my Nightcrawler and my Juggernaut, and uh, I had That's a bunch awesome. of like Funko Mystery Minis, and uh, I had some Deadpool, uh, like Hot Wheels. Like I had his Chimichanga Hot Wheel truck, and <laughs> yeah, I had I had toys. Exactly, you know. And during during your break, you know, hey, that's playtime. <laughs> I mean, they got it all wrong, guys. I mean, we need the playtime. We need the naps. The, the yes. kids, I mean, they're, they're they don't want a nap. <laughs> no, they don't need the. They don't need nap time. They don't even need recess. Just give them like a track. Just say, all right, go go run fifty laps. You know, first one to fifty laps gets a big old high five. Like that's all they need. Like I need the recess. Yes, amen, amen. We we desperately need it. That's the truth. <laughs> I'm gonna play with some figures. I want to play a round of tetherball, and then you know what? I'm gonna come and be super productive. Back at go. my desk after that, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Just in time for your your milk, your uh, graham crackers, and a nap. Hey, your life is good. Oh man, if only. <laughs> yeah. All right. So on that super depressing and sad note, 
Um, I think we can go into our episode because we are going to talk about season two, episode one, Till Death Do Us Part, which is, you know, pretty nefarious title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So this episode debuted October 23rd. 1993 it was written by mark edward edens so anyone who listened to pretty much any of the season one episodes heard that name like he was the main writer and he helped uh eric leewald like determine the story of season one and of course that important role he carried into season two he actually was the one that wrote like the two-part night of the sentinels and then as well as the finale and like two or three of the main story episodes for season one and he's picking up in season two right where he left off so we are talking season two episode one till death do us part part one so rob do you want to kick us off and lead us into this opening scene sure i'd be happy to yeah you know quick backstory when i got the vhs tape it was just for part two so it was such a such a cool experience to actually watch part one, possibly for the first time. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, this this particular episode, uh, yeah, it, it was great. It sets up, and you know what? Part two makes so much more sense now, <laughs> 30 yeah. years later. Uh, You're like, so, oh, oh, that's, that's how my morph's that there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, the, this episode begins with Senator Kelly, and he has been rescued. And Cyclops is wanting to marry Jean Grey. Now, um, this was a little jarring for me at first because I wasn't sure if this was a dream sequence going on here or if this was really happening. Um, because I originally I wrote down that this was a dream sequence of Cyclops and Wolverine fighting. Um, and uh, it, it was even a wedding sequence where Wolverine is the wedding crasher shouting, You can't have her! So when Jean says, I do, we get another sequence where Wolverine stabs Cyclops to reveal that he's some kind of machine or uni- unique sentinel. And uh, Wolverine, he ends up taking the head off of that machine. Uh, Cyclops then turns into a giant Cyclops sentinel. And that's when you realize that this wasn't a dream. This, this wedding really did happen. They really do get married. I kind of forgot that early in season one, I'm talking early, like maybe the second episode, Wolverine has a thing for Jean Grey. I mean, it just picks picks up uh pretty early in the series and it just oh, yep. can it continues all the way through i'm like wolvie you sly dog she's married now man uh but yeah so that's when you realize that this wasn't a dream the wedding really happened and Jean, you know she sense she senses during or right after the wedding ceremony that that something's wrong with wolverine right after the ceremony and and you know gambit he's trying to get his smooches in but rogue reminds him that it isn't cajun country and that's that's not what they do here the preacher he ends up being morph and this was a nice callback to the first couple of episodes from season one and i think even maybe an episode before this cyclops kind of makes that reference like i am not going to leave someone behind again so that was kind of just to refresh us oh wait morph yeah he was left behind early in season one and now we're getting that continuation of the narrative and boy do i love that cohesive part of you know these x-men cartoons is if something's referenced early in one season, it's going to be immediately, you know, picked up. Oh, not maybe not immediately, but sooner or later, it's going to get picked back up later on in the series. So Senator Kelly, he's elected president and seems to be pro mutants now, um, and fully pardons Doctor Henry McCoy. So things are looking good. And hey, 
Beast even catches a bouquet. So things are looking really good for for Hank for a little bit. <laughs> so so I had in my notes um, when when Senator or I guess President Kelly because he's talking about you know I'll, I'll take on the duties of of president and all that. Um, so so when President Kelly's like giving a speech, we see you know, the, the camera pans out and we see that someone's actually watching this like on the television. And as they're watching this, they're like putting on this costume. And I, I have in my notes, I'm referring to this person as Sabretooth player two, uh, <laughs> because you know, like anytime you'd play a fighting game in the nineties in, if player two picked the fighter that player one chose, it would just be different the same color. character, but with a different color scheme. So this is just saber tooth only instead of like Brown and yellow and stuff, he's like blue and green. So I, <laughs> I, I just, I'm calling him saber tooth player two in my notes. I wish that could be a figure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, but yeah, so I threw, I just wanted to throw that out there since, you know, we've been talking about nineties stuff and video games. I just wanted to make sure I get my, uh, Sabretooth player two note in there. And then, yes, I had one other thing to add to the opening sequence and I could see why you would think it was a dream sequence at first, because if anyone has ever seen a soap opera in the 1990s, whenever it was a dream sequence, it would be like this weird, ominous gray skies. And there was always fog. And that's exactly how this episode starts. Like he seems to be like in the Coliseum. Only there's like, it's all gray because there's like stone columns and stuff. But like the sky is all like dark gray, blue and all that. And there's just like fog everywhere. So yeah, like going into the episode, you're like, oh, is he dreaming? But yeah, they they do the great job of saying, oh, no, no, it's the danger room. And uh, Wolverine's working off some steam here. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, Gene, I don't know if Gene, I mean... It slightly teases that Gene might have feelings for Wolverine, but Wolverine is, I mean, he is just totally enamored by her. But, you know, Gene, she, every now and then, she'll just kind of give these little hints, too, because she returns uh, to see Wolverine, and she says she missed him at the wedding. And, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. So we see Morph, and bless his heart, he's a tortured soul, and he's battling himself. Why did they abandon me? Why did they leave me to die? And then and then he, he's fighting himself by saying things like, but... But they're my friends. I, I can't harm them. And then finally we get we discover what happened directly after uh, the night that he was left by Cyclops when uh, the Sentinels attacked early on in season one. And uh, with that, I'll turn that over to you, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I, I mentioned, too, the, the scene with Morph, like in the motel room, um, where we do kind of get that backstory you were talking about, where it kind of picks up right after, you know, Cyclops makes a decision to leave. Uh, where he's laying there and and someone just kind of comes into frame is a very you know person in like shadow and stuff and 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 he's like oh you'll get them back and stuff and uh in the meantime we see like morph in this hotel in this motel room like laying on a bed just kind of like writhing in you know mental pain and just kind of like why am i here what am i doing to the x-men why did they leave me what the heck is going on and i have the he uh the poor morph is smeagling out <laughs> um, on his bed so that was sad he's talking to himself and, and he's happy and then he's angry and then he's happy again it's yes it is it is very sad and we also finally get to go to the uh the president kelly uh, address you know we actually get to go there in person this time and see Sabretooth player two 
a second time. Basically, what's happening is President Kelly is like, hey, you know, I've I've kind of had a change of heart. I know that I was running on this anti-mutant campaign, but like, here's what happened. And now my eyes have been opened. And you know what? Like, mutants are just regular people. There's good ones. There's bad ones. And like, we're going to be on the side of the good ones. And, and you know, we'll, we'll fight the bad ones, whatever. And someone from the audience who's wearing, you know, like a fascist patch yells out like you were supposed to fight the mutants and then he talks into like this little walkie-talkie he's got in his uh collar and he's like send him in and then that's when we see you know saber player two come jump through the window and he's like attacking the people but not really he's just kind of like throwing chairs over and and yelling incoherently and everything and i like this scene too because it's like he jumps in and he's acting all menacing and he's standing right next to this like ringleader guy and the ringleader's like pointing at him like you're supposed to protect us from these things <laughs> and then the thing like instead of attacking the guy he just jumps out the window it's it's very weird that like if it was really a mutant he come, he jumps in and he's like hey all you humans that are like pro mutant i'm going to attack you guys but the one like bigot dude i'm standing literally right next to <laughs> who's yelling in my face, I'm just going to jump out the window and run away. He scares me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you humans are weird, man. I'm out of here. Like, uh, so, I mean, obviously at this point we know that it's, you know, after the guy jumps out the window and runs away, then that, that like, you know, the fascist dude's like, all right, you know, start wave two and all that. So we know that they're all in on it together, but still. <laughs> Yeah, that that was great. And there's a great, I remember there was a great Professor X line kind of explaining that too. Oh yeah, so shortly after that, Morph's being controlled and everything. And then it says, uh, on the streets, you can feel the unrest as, as humans are rioting and attacking, attacking random mutants. And there's a, a, a quote from Professor X, and I, I highlighted this. It says, so often in history, unhappy, misguided people have created scapegoats, blaming those that are different for the, for the problems in their own lives. And then Storm even follows that up. And Storm's got some great, great wisdom in the series that I didn't realize. She's a really strong leader. <laughs> she goes, Storm follows the statement up by saying, it is an evil in all men's hearts that must be fought. If we stand up to the troublemakers, they will give up their cruel designs. If we fail, their intolerance will grow and many will perish. I'm like, some good stuff right there. You know, you're not in fighting the person, Saturday you're fighting the evil. Morning, yeah, in a Saturday morning cartoon. Like, how how are we getting, like, th- and this wisdom, like, this is relevant today. Yes. In, <laughs> like, I think that's what hits so much about the X-Men. Yes. No, I, I agree with you. So, yeah, really, really great stuff. So, all of a sudden, Professor X, he gets a call from his private video line to see what, what uh, looks like Magneto suffering in Antarctica. And then immediately, I was like, wait a minute. That seems a little suspicious. Uh, and this lures Professor away. Wolvie, he's still trying to blow off some steam. He's playing pool with Beast and Gambit. And this lady freaks out over Beast being on TV and knowing the president. I thought that was kind of a funny scene. And then those rioters, they show up. Yeah, um, I love that we're, that we're getting Beast. Um, I, I know that it was the creator's original idea to have Beast as like a side character for season one, as, as he was. Um, and then just kind of move on from there. Like that was pretty much going to be it. You know, he was going to have his thing in jail and then he was going to be released and then he was going to go off and do his own thing and not really be part of the team. But the, the showrunner, Eric Leewald in his book, uh, previously on X-Men, he, he mentions the fact that like every writer, whenever they got a chance to write beast, just absolutely loved writing the character. 
And so every time they were going to write a new script, they were like, oh, we want to put, we have to put Beast in here because he has all these great things to say. Uh, And so they just kept putting them in. And, and I love that, like, we're, cause it's been a whole season and we didn't really get to see Beast do much other than be really great with the lines and stuff. Mm -hmm. But we actually finally start to get to see Beast doing stuff you know using his mutant abilities like he's not just smart and weird looking he's also like really strong and very acrobatic and he's like a very good not necessarily like a very good fighter but he's like a very important physical presence for the team something that they were missing in season one because other than that like really the only strong character they had was was rogue i mean sometimes storm would would blow people away with like really strong winds and of course wolverine can open doors and, and cut robots and stuff with his claws but there's just that added aspect of like hey we got one more character that we get to throw around and and put into these really great situations and and beast right here you know th- this mob comes in and they're they're like the muties are in there you know like we don't like pro mutant bars and all that and uh I think Beast grabs like one of the one of the billiards balls and like rolls it over to Gambit, and so Gambit picks it up and charges it up and and throws it at him, and that causes the guys to scatter, and it and it, it gives them enough of a opportunity so that the X Men can you know vacate the 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 building so that the, the bystanders aren't in uh, in any danger, and they take the fight into the streets, and we get to see Beast like climbing up poles and like grabbing yeah. guns from people and lifting up cars and stuff and it's it's really great to to see the character and then like all of his moments whenever he's doing all these awesome feats of strength and stuff he always throws some you know little quip or some brilliant <laughs> line of of some obscure poet or whatever i just love how they do beasts and and this episode like i'm so excited that that we're getting into the really great beast stuff because comic book wise i've pretty much hated beast for like the last 20 years in the comics and i I, like one of my favorite things about coming back to this show it's like this is the definitive beast so i'm really excited that that we're getting this beast in this season wow man well so what, what is i'm just curious what is it about the current run that you don't like um it's not i mean it's not so much the current run it's just every storyline that he's had over the last 20 odd years uh, and i don't want to like spoil too much stuff for you because i know that you're working your way through but if you're if you're reading claremont you're probably yeah, years away from, to go. <laughs> from any of this stuff anyway by the time you get to it you'll have forgotten hopefully um <laughs> but there was this storyline in the late aughts like 2007 2008 where uh mutant kind had pretty much become an endangered species there was this whole thing in like 2005 called like Avengers disassembled. And part of that was Wanda, the Scarlet witch had like a a bit of a mental breakdown, uh, a break from reality. And she was left in the care of her father, Magneto and Quicksilver was like, Hey, um, you know, and he kind of like manipulates this, this mentally unstable Scarlet witch into altering reality to make all of Magneto's dreams for, you know, mutants and humans come true. And that led to this storyline called House of M. And it was a really interesting storyline. It was it was very fun. And at the end of this storyline, Wanda's like fed up with mutants. She's like, you know what? I've had it with mutants. I, I don't care about the struggle or whatever. And she just says like, no more mutants. And 
it causes all but like 200 mutants on Earth to lose their powers and become ordinary humans. And for like the next three or so years, the X-Men books were predominantly stories trying to figure out how they can survive. Hmm. And like ever since that moment, it's like, I don't know why, but like Beast failed to find any kind of scientific way to like jumpstart the mutant race. And ever since then, he's just kind of been like a bit of a jerk. He's, he doesn't quote obscure poets anymore. He's not particularly well-spoken or anything. He like, there's uh, some stuff later on down the road where he has some disagreements with Cyclops and chooses Wolverine over Cyclops uh, even though it was like Wolverine was the one. So after after uh, a few years, there's a storyline called Messiah Complex where a mutant child is born. It's like the first mutant in years. And after this whole storyline, Cyclops is in charge of the X-Men and he's like, we're going to do things differently. I'm going to create X-Force as like a kill squad and they're going to go out and preemptively kill like human threats so that mutants can survive. And he puts Wolverine in charge of the team. And when Beast finds out that X-Force exists, he decides that from now on he hates Cyclops, he quits the X-Men, and then he joins Wolverine. And then Wolver- and Wolverine's like, hey, you're right, we shouldn't be doing this, I'm going to disband X-Force. And then he immediately restarts X-Force on his own. And then when Beast finds out about that, he's like, oh, well, you know, Wolverine will be Wolverine. Like, I don't know, <laughs> I've just, I've, I've hated Beast ever since, and it's a bummer. <laughs> Yeah, man, that that's that's so interesting that you say that because that does sound a lot different from the cartoon version that we get. Yeah, but man, it, I think I think going back to what you saying, this one's the definitive beast. I think I think another thing I love about him, of course, he's got those quips and everything, but he also has such a calming presence on the team. Like he's the one voice of reason. It seems like uh, yeah. in in the X Men right now, you know. Yeah. Definitely. And uh, it's definitely leadership that they need with Cyclops being gone and with Xavier being gone. Like leading the X-Men takes more than one person and that can't all fall onto Storm for season two. So it's also great to have Beast who can kind of step into that role as well. You know, like, hey, let's let's think about what we're going to do and how we're going to move forward. And, And it definitely comes into play in a lot of the later episodes of this season. Um, and I like at the end, you know, after the mutants kind of tussle with these humans, we kind of find out that that one dude from President Kelly's speech, uh, he was there like recording the whole thing. So obviously he's going to be creating some fake news about mutants. Uh, but my favorite part was like all the bad guys, they just they run away because they realize they've been bested by these three X-Men, Beast, Wolverine and Gambit. We don't really see Wolverine do much. Um, other than like cut the roof off of a car, which was fun. Uh, but we got to see Gambit charge up like a gun and a chain and a, a pool ball and stuff. Uh, but anyway, after all the humans scattered, they start to hear sirens. And it's like the end of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1, where Beast is like, well, it's time to, you know, we struck hard, time to <laughs> fade away into the night, you know, like as the sirens are approaching. I, I, I love that. Yeah, he has a great line too. Like, I think Wolverine says something kind of uh, like, "Ah, it's time to get the sardines out of the can" or something like that. And and uh, Beast goes, "A wonderful analogy, Wolverine. I'm blue green with envy." I'm like, "That's such a great line." <laughs> oh, dude, you have a good you have a good Beast voice. Well, thank you, thank you. I, I, by the way, I love the guy's voice. Whoever that is, the voice actor, perfect voice for that character. 
All right. So fun fact, uh, George Buza is the actor who plays Beast. And if you recall in X-Men number one, the movie from 2000, there is the truck driver who drives Rogue to the random bar where she first sees Wolverine. Yeah. That truck driver is George Buza. I did not know that. Wow. What an Easter egg. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. God, see, it's another reason I love that first movie. It's great stuff. Yeah, so uh, so there's some doctored footage, of course, you know, where they frame Beast, uh, you know, to turn the public against the mutants. And Storm, she takes control in, in Professor's absence. Outraged by the footage, uh, Wolverine, he storms off like he does, while Morphe, he makes his way into the mansion disguised as Wolverine. So the morph Wolverine, uh, he talks to Rogue, and then uh, and then he eventually turns into Rogue. Now I thought this was kind of funny. So morph Rogue, uh, she's you know she's kind of giving uh, Gambit the look like, hey, let's uh, well you know <laughs> they very quickly run off Jubilee. <laughs> Poor Jubilee, I I, yeah. hate, I hate she doesn't get a lot of moments in the sun <laughs> in this episode. Uh, so morph Storm, she appoints Jubilee to to rescue some mutants. Uh, to get her out of the mansion. And, um, you know, of course, we know, we have a good idea where she's being led. Rogue, Morph Rogue, she's like, hey, maybe I've been lying this whole time about you not being able to touch me. And Gambit's like, really, seriously? And then Morph uh, Rogue puts her hand on Gambit's face, and he's like, oh, my gosh, this is this is amazing. This is great news. So uh, <laughs> shortly before that, I should say that uh, the real Rogue wanted to go lie down and just kind of take a nap after that uh uh, after all the craziness has been going on. So Gambit, deceived by the morph rogue, he then kisses the real rogue, only to find out that, hey, it's the real rogue, and it doesn't turn out so well for him. So uh, <laughs> now, <laughs> whoops. So now Rogue has Gambit's power. Uh, meanwhile, Jubilee, he's, she's been sent to one of the rioters' headquarters, and Morph then turns up the intensity in the danger room on poor Beast trying to kill him. And, um, you know, meanwhile, there's a, there's a big riot at the Mutant Counseling Center. Yes. I, I like uh, Morph's, like, battle cry, you know, right before he goes into the mansion to uh, impersonate all the various X-Men. He has to throw out, like, an early 90s SNL reference where he's, like, making copies, where he's, <laughs> <laughs> like, impersonating, what is it, the, uh, it's um, the, the Richmeister, I think, that was the, the, uh, wow, gosh, what's that guy's name? Rob... I'm forgetting the actor's name. Was it Rob Schneider? No. Was is it? that right? Rob Schneider? Yeah. Rob Schneider. Okay. That sounds, I think he was on that SNL. That sounds right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the SNL guy. Yeah. From like uh, <laughs> Deuce Bigelow. Yes. That's um, him. Yep. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Rob Schneider. Okay. Perfect. All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like one of one of his best characters from, from uh, early 90s SNL. And I love that they just throw that in there. They're like, oh, yeah. Eight-year-olds are going to get this. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was definitely for the, uh, you know, the, the teenage X-Men fans and even the adults that were watching the show, because this show really did reach like multi-generations of, of X-Men fan. Uh, so, the, but I love that they throw that in there to make like, oh man, I haven't heard that in decades. Like, <laughs> it's so fun going through this episode and seeing that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I feel so bad for Beast and, uh, this is kind of what I was talking about. Like we got to see him doing a little bit of this in, in the fight sequence from earlier, but now we see him like really going through his workout. And of course he's beast and he's really smart and it doesn't take him long to realize like, uh Oh, the danger room seems to be like much more dangerous than I had originally said it. So he, he has to like fight his way out and everything. And, and it's just great to see that 
uh, that action sequence without like any kind of uh, danger for him. You know, we like we just got him back. Like, let's have it in the danger room only and all that. So it was really great to see. Uh, and I'm and again, I'm looking forward to more. Be- Beast is like my standout character already, just in this in this first episode of season two. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so he was impersonated by Morph, who was like, hey, Storm Rogue, why don't you uh, head out to the, the Mutant Counseling Center and I'll I'll meet you there soon. Of course, obviously, Beast isn't uh, because that was Morph. But yeah, so we anyway, we catch up with, with Rogue and Storm and they're fighting against these these more of these riders who are wearing like t-shirts with like a very third reich looking eagle which just is super uncomfortable for any of us that know history like obviously as a kid that eagle thing didn't really mean a whole lot but like seeing it as an adult is just like he's like heebie-jeebies seeing that like it's very third reich reminiscent the eagle shape on their uh, on their shirt and then of course it's got foh which we we don't know yet what that stands for i think um, in the show i think we don't find out until uh, the next episode what the foh actually stands for uh but uh they're there and they're you know making it difficult for for the mutants and such and i remember when uh when rogan and storm first arrive one of the rioters like grabs a grenade and he throws it up to him and rogue just you know she snatches it right out of midair and everything and she's like oh you want to play catch and you're thinking like oh my gosh she's gonna throw this grenade <laughs> back at this group of like 10 dudes which i mean like they're bad guys but come on like it's a kid's card but no she just like throws it up into the sky and it explodes it's like oh yeah that's right yes kids cartoon <laughs> <laughs> there are a few kids watching this yeah like oh wow like that was that's about to be super oh no it's cool <laughs> Um, but you know, unfortunately as they're fighting these dudes and everything and storms like bringing, um, she's bringing like snow down and it's getting really cold, but then there's like explosions further away, a couple blocks over. And so rogue and storm have to separate, like rogue has to go attend to this other scene and it leaves storm alone and morph who is in like hiding in the alley, uh, spies like some police officers and he impersonates a, a police officer and he's like, shoot her down. And, and the, the police officers, they think like, oh, we got to listen to the sergeant or whatever. And so they, they blast storm out of the sky and it's, Mm -hmm. and like the episode ends, she's being carried away on a stretcher into an ambulance. And it's like, oh my goodness. Like, I mean, yeah, like in the premiere of the series, they killed off morph, but like they did it off screen. Like, here we are, we got all these different X-Men and all these dangerous positions. We've got storm, like being loaded into an ambulance uh, and then, of course, you know, you can't do a cartoon for kids in the 80s or 90s without doing the obligatory, oh, all this that you're seeing is actually being watched by the villain on their own private monitor somewhere because, you know, they've got cameras everywhere somehow. Right. And it like <laughs> the, it like zooms out. Yeah. And we see that like Mr. Sinister, who we don't know it's Mr. Sinister yet. We just know it's like the guy that's pulling the strings. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like watching this and he says something probably sinister pardon the pun but um you know and that's and that's how the episode ends it's like holy moly like i mean yeah they didn't kill anybody off in this episode but i I feel like it has somehow even more stakes than even night of the sentinels did oh yeah for sure for sure i mean this one ends on a dark note i mean it's it first of all it's always weird for me to see like one of the superheroes get shot i don't know why it just it just hits i don't know why but yeah, and I think what also hits about this is the callback to Morph from season one, and finally he's getting his revenge in season two. So he's got a motive, but we also know he's being played, you know, by this 
this darker character. Uh, it was funny because I'm so glad you brought up the fact that it was done so many times in the 80s and in 90s with the uh, the evil villain watching. I was just waiting for the, you know it to be like a Dr. Claw scene with the cat, <laughs> you know, just like watching everything <laughs> slam at the desk. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yes, totally. Or Shredder. Uh, uh, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, but just a really, really great cliffhanger to end the first episode of season two. And I'm with you. I think the Beast was my favorite character in, in this particular episode. He did a wonderful job. Yeah, standout character of season two already. I'm going to call it because yep. I don't know how season two I, – I, I don't know anything. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to call it uh, Beast is the standout character of season two. And I, and I guess we'll find out if I'm right at the very end of the season. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I'll call it with you, man. <laughs> All right, so Rob, that does it then for the episode. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Breaking this episode down has been a blast. And of course, talking about your X-Men roots and all the other tangents that we went on even before <laughs> recording, it's been such a pleasure. Um, and now I hope that all of my listeners are like, hey, I love this Rob guy. And if they're not already listening to you, uh, why don't you tell them where they can find you? Well, thank you so much, man. It was an absolute blast. I have been looking forward to this all week. I mean, literally, I would wake up early in the morning before the family wakes up, watch a couple of X-Men episodes, take some <laughs> notes. Uh, so I've really been looking forward to it. It's been a blast. We talked for a good 45 minutes before we uh, even hit the record button. It was wonderful. And, uh, buddy, this was a dream come true. So thank you so much for having me. If you want to check out any Ninja Turtles content, you can just basically look up Turtle Tales Radio. Um, I, I am on Instagram at TurtlePodRob, and also I think the handle is the same on Twitter as well. And we do have a Facebook group, group page. It's Facebook.com slash groups slash Turtle Flakes. Oh, excuse me. That's phew, old school. Facebook.com <laughs> slash groups slash Turtle Tales Radio. And, um, yeah, we're on all the podcast feeds. Uh, I believe we're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. All the other ones out there, Podcast Addict, I can't remember. I can't keep them all straight anymore. But, you know, we have a monthly show. Every now and then we'll try to do two to three episodes uh, when we're feeling really uh, uh, spunky for for a month. We mainly cover the Tales of the TMNT comic books, but Kirkland and I have really talked about it. We definitely want to get back to kind of our roots of podcasting and talk more about the toys and talk more about cartoon episodes and everything. So... We're really trying to kind of broaden the scope of what we want to cover with Ninja Turtles, but we have a really good time doing it, and uh, we would love to love to hear from you over there too. So once again, Ryan, thank you so much for having me. It has been an honor, uh, and I've really enjoyed it. Oh, of course, man, and uh, you're welcome back anytime. Anytime you want to talk about an X-Men episode, let me know, and we'll get you scheduled. Sounds great, man. Sounds awesome. All right, bub. So that does it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Rob as much as I did. It was so much fun having him on the show. As you probably heard, I am a big fan of his and all of his various podcasting endeavors through the years. Gone back and listened to his podcast, The Retro Junkies. And of course, I was a huge fan of Turtle Flakes. And that's continued on to his new show, or I guess his current show of Turtle Tales, radio, uh, but he's done several other things as well in the podcasting community, and, and they've all been solid gold. And of course, you also heard he's a stand-up guy, just a really great all-around person, and I was super glad to finally get him 
on this show and kind of help him rediscover his affinity for all things X. So that was that was a lot of fun. And also tune in next week as I bring Rob back to cover Till Death Do Us Part Part Two, because as you heard in this episode, that was the first episode that that Rob ever saw. So I had to bring him back for that. Bubs, if you like the conversation, no. If you like the show and want to keep the conversation going, you can reach me on Instagram at talkinsnicked at no at talkinsnicked or reach out to me via email talksnicked at gmail.com. I should probably tell you it's super late here. It's a Friday night and I'm very tired, which is why I keep flubbing my lines here. So uh so I, I apologize for how unprofessional this outro is is sounding. One last thing though, make sure you check out the Spotify playlist for Retcon X. He's a musician who created some music back way back when that was inspired by the X-Men and all of his music is still available to listen to on Spotify and I highly recommend it. And if you don't believe me, then stay tuned and check out this upcoming track Back from the Dead. Until next time, bubs. <laughs>